It's the end of the world as we know it, and we feel maybe fine. I'm Matt Robeson, joined by two-term Democratic U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes and our conservative commentator, analyst, and political consultant, Alicia Preston. Full disclosure, it is 10.04 p.m. on New Hampshire Primary Day, January 23rd, 2024. We are recording this as a, it's not really an emergency. A known event is not really an emergency, but we are trying to bring this to you before the all the counting wraps up. Uh, as of this hour, it's looking like Trump has won. The, the race has been long called for Trump in New Hampshire. But the margin is very interesting. At this point, it's looking like about an eight or nine point margin could go up a little bit. Alicia, let's be real about this. You're pulling as hard as any Republican out there for Nikki Haley or for really any sentient human. What is your reaction to the results as we know them? I'm unfortunately disappointed. And what I mean by unfortunately is I've been saying for five days, if we can get a single digit loss, that can be considered a win. But I think back in my brain and my Pollyanna mentality that Paul loves to make fun of, which I actually appreciate, I thought it was going to be like, I know this isn't going to happen, but it's 1982 and my mom's going to figure out how to get me that Cabbage Patch doll, even though they've been sold out for three months. <laughs> my mom did find a way to get me that Cabbage Patch doll. And it was that kind of childlike, maybe something can happen. And it didn't. So intellectually, I'm not surprised by it. Emotionally, I'm disappointed by it. But if I go back to the intellectual side, I'm looking right now at the TV screen. It says eight points. And five, six weeks ago, no one would have predicted Haley would get within single digits of Donald Trump. The, the most recent polling that we saw coming out of, I think it was a Monmouth somebody poll, said there was like a 30-point gap for Trump. Yeah. That was the most recent polling. Everybody kind of had been up and down and up and down and wondered whether Haley could, after, as we talked about, a weak showing from Trump in Iowa, but still a large margin in Iowa with very low turnout, whether she could take advantage in New Hampshire with uh, undeclareds, independents, who could vote, pull a Republican ballot, and whether she could somehow eke out a victory uh, with the undeclareds. I actually see some important progress for Nikki Haley. You have a high turnout election, and in a high turnout election, she is showing that Donald Trump is vulnerable. And her real pitch is, as she said in her concession speech, which was an upbeat, let's go get him. I'm scrappy. I'm going, uh, we're going on. Donald Trump, as she pointed out, is an incredibly weak candidate for the Republicans. Here, he could get just above 50%. So yes, she lost. But I also think that her game is, if I can hold on till one of the shoes drops from the 91 indictments, or he really goes gaga, and she's now, she went at him pretty hard in her concession speech saying, he's unfit. He's on the cognitive decline. He can't remember who I am and what I do. And she shows a lot of fight. Now, I don't know where that, whether that leaves the donors with her for a longer haul and South Carolina's no cakewalk, but it kind of sets up the MAGA base against everybody else. 
who can vote in a Republican primary. And maybe there is still some glimmer for her. Trump and his people are going to try to knock her out and tell her to get out. I don't know that she's going to get out until her money dries up. It is interesting that if you step back and look at it from a distance, Paul, what you just said is absolutely spot on. Second straight result, barely over 50%. And yet it is, it's not quite being characterized at this early hour as the crush, the romp that we were making fun of on this show all week that the media attached to the Iowa victory. And so, yes, it is a second consecutive win. And yes, it is very significant for the long-term trajectory of the Republican Party that the win was fueled as UNH slash CNN pollster Andy Smith was telling us on the show on Monday, the win was fueled by the core of the Republican Party, was fueled by registered Republicans. So on the one hand, Republicans have so far made their choice and they're in with Trump. On the other hand, it is true that if you follow through the line of thought that we were talking about after the Iowa results, that core Republican voters disproportionately believe that Donald Trump is the legitimate president. They believe that he is, for all intents and purposes, the incumbent. For an incumbent president to come in with a barely over 50% result for a second straight time, media, here, here we're, we're telling you, you'd be well within your rights to raise some major questions about his strength. At the same time, I don't think any of us, show me by nods that our listeners can't see, but I don't think any of us are saying that this is a wide open path for Haley either. It it still seems like the narrowest of paths. Alicia, let's say that you are now the Nikki Haley strategist. Your number one goal between now and South Carolina is you've got to make the case to donors. This thing runs on funds and you've got to keep her financially viable. What are you telling major Republican donors right now? Why should they invest in Nikki Haley? because Donald Trump can't win a general election, and that has just been proven. Look, he's had two contests. He is running with the power of the incumbency and can barely get 50% of the party. Excuse me. He cannot win in swing states. That has been proven in 2018, proven in 2020, proven in 22, even proven in the off-year states in 2023 in Virginia and Kentucky. Trump cannot, and Trump sycophants cannot win a general election. The only way to get Biden out of office, which is what we want to do, is to have someone other than Trump. And considering Nikki's the last man standing, last woman standing, right now, that's where they've got to go. That is the only needed message for donors right now. And I think if delivered properly, they'll hear it. Paul, let's talk for just a moment about the Democratic side of this, which, pun intended, includes everyone except for Donald Trump. So it, it emerged, first of all, it does look like Joe Biden is on his way to a very healthy win, something in the 70s, it looks like, could be as of this hour, uh, Joe Biden, unprocessed write-ins. It's looking like around 70%. I think we were saying on this show that really anything above 65, close to that 70 range, would make this sort of a nothing burger from the press standpoint. Dean Phillips has already been asked, when are you going to drop out? Not, are you going to drop out? When are you going to drop out? So let's put that I think hopefully in the rear view, this question about Biden's vulnerability on the Democratic side. Interestingly, though, breaking this evening, Jen O'Malley Dillon, a a deputy White House communications director, has been (laughs) the current Biden campaign manager has been, as we say in the trade, layered 
they've brought in more senior figures on top of the campaign manager to run the Biden re-election campaign. What do you make of that? Is this something that Democrats will see as a shakeup? Do we know who that is? Jen O'Malley Dillon. Has been, look, Jen, Jen has an enormous amount of experience and an enormous backdrop of campaign experience. Democrats have been, and I think leading Democrats of note and substance, whose names everybody would recognize, leaders in the party, have been after Biden and his campaign to ramp it up. And they've been after Biden to ramp it up for a long time. So I don't think this is unexpected. I don't think, I think it's going to be taken as a good, as a sign of something good by Democrats, not as a shakeup and chaos, just, okay, game on. They're going to bring in some support, some troops, and they're going to bring in some fire, some horsepower. That, and that I think is, I think Democrats are going to be happy about that. Yeah, I have to say, Jenna Melly Dillon ran the 2020 campaign. She's very well respected in uh, Democratic Party circles, certainly in operative circles. And look, for the current campaign manager who's expected to retain the title, Julie Chavez Rodriguez, look, for one thing, she may have been in on this. <laughs> she may have been in on this from the get-go. There's sort of a long pedigree of making this kind of a move where you bring in your top guns as you head down the stretch, I'm mixing metaphors there, but you know, it's late. So I agree with you. I think that this is, this is going to be seen as, yeah, we're getting in it. We're now that we know that the race is 95% likely clarified into the rematch with Donald Trump. Is there, is there, what do you take? You have a personal attachment to the Republican party of New Hampshire. And we've been talking literally for years on this show about your quest and the quiet, I don't want to say desperation, but the quiet campaign that you and other like-minded Republicans have had to try to perform an exorcism of Trump from the party. I'm seeing you sprinkling holy water on Nikki Haley while her head spins around. What do you make of Andy Smith's finding that Donald Trump did, it's a narrow victory, but he did get a victory in New Hampshire. And it's on the power of the core of the Republican Party, on registered Republicans. What do you think is going on? Do you think the Republican Party has sort of crossed some kind of a line that's, that's unrecoverable? Let's take a break. We'll be right back. There's kind of a lot to unpack, so I'm going to be as brief as possible. Part of it is fear of speaking out, so fear of bringing others with you. Everyone wants to be with a winner, right? So... There's that. I said to a national reporter at a Nikki Haley event the other day, they said, why are you voting for Nikki Haley? And I said, because Donald Trump is a danger to democracy and a danger to America as we know it. And she gasped. And I took that gasp as because people aren't being that direct publicly. And that matters because that says to the other people who are voting, I got to go with Donald Trump because no one's speaking negatively about him. So there's that component. But I don't know. One of the reasons I'm disappointed is, like I said, I, I was Pollyanna hoping for a miracle tonight to show me that the Republican Party is not tripling down on this guy. I took notes on his speech tonight, and he's just a liar. He's a straight up liar, and people are cheering him. He gets up and he says, we've won every election we've ever run here. We've ever run here. We've won every primary. We won every general. And the people are cheering. He's never won a general election in New Hampshire. Never. 
He's just a liar. He talks about Democrats shouldn't be able to vote in New Hampshire to Republican primary. It wouldn't even be this close if they did. They're not allowed to vote in the New Hampshire Republican primary. And people are cheering him on. He shits all over, pardon my language, Chris Sununu, who's like the most popular governor in the history of New Hampshire and one of the most popular governors in the country and says he's a loser and can't win his own state when he's never lost a race in his own state and they're cheering and i'm going what is going on and then he's this insulting misogynist and pardoning my rant but he says about haley who went up for a concession speech i watched i wrote it down i watched her come up on a fancy dress that we all know isn't that fancy i don't even know what kind of insult that is he's a horrible human being he's a bad man and to see over 50% of people vote in my state, in my party for him, I don't know the answer. I don't know what to do. It's, I, I will tell you that I, Paul and I were in Manchester. Sorry, Alicia, we were, it was a lightning visit. We Wait, were in no Man one came to have a cup of tea with me? It was, it was, we were interviewing Chris Matthews, the episode that was on the show today. And it was kind of interesting. We were, I described it. I didn't give it enough description in the rundown of that show that we were in the heart of New Hampshire. We were literally in the Doubletree Hilton in downtown Manchester. And during the New Hampshire primary, that is where it's at. We're we're sitting H2. there, we're doing H2. the interview in the next ballroom, the New Hampshire delegation, the congressional delegation, the senators are giving a press conference. People are wandering by. Chuck Todd is in the background of, of the video. You can see I ran into a former chair. I'm going to leave names out of this because this wasn't like an on-the-record conversation. I ran into a former chairman of the New Hampshire Republican Party, and this is what a throwback I am. Like with you, Alicia, I get along well with Republicans of, who are kind of in the mix before the current insanity set in because they're good people, and I like them, even though they've been political opponents in the past. And I can just— grow. I think I, we should all get along. <laughs> yeah, we should. We should. And I, I can just tell you that there is a, I don't want to speak out of school, but there is, I think, the same sense of dejection and kind of a WTF feeling throughout people who have been longstanding core members of the Republican Party in New Hampshire about what is it that we can't quite get over the hump and rid ourselves of this malevolent force. Speaking of malevolence, Donald Trump did, you referred a second ago to his his weird speech. He was throwing down, he was throwing heat against Nikki Haley tonight. She has gotten also increasingly personal and really called out Donald Trump's mental decline in recent days. It feels like they've kind of crossed a barrier in their relationship. I don't know what you would call it. Now, who knows? A week ago, Ron DeSantis was saying that was insulting Donald Trump in nearly as vibrant terms and was insulting the people who had run against Trump and then turned around and endorsed him. Guess what happened when Ron DeSantis dropped out of the race? He turned around and tail between his legs, belly up, kissed upwards at Donald Trump, who sort of was like, yes, very good, move along. So I'm not ruling out the possibility that Nikki Haley could turn around and do this, but it sure feels to me like the supposition that she was running to be his VP, boy, I, that that seems to be that seems to be way down the probability scale at this point, at least as of tonight. Listen, I don't think you can take anything from the tone 
now about what is going to happen with the vice presidency. So let's just put that aside. I really people say savage things and the Republicans are used to savaging each other and then kissing and making up. We've seen that over and over. Tonight John Cornyn, senator from Texas, who's seen as a sane human being, basically uh, issued a long statement saying we've got to support the presumptive nominee. The entire establishment of the Republican Party except for for Chris Sununu has fallen prostrate in front of the golden idol, the great orange Cheeto. But I want to go back to something. This is literally what Ron DeSantis said a week ago, and maybe he's right. He said, you can be the most worthless Republican in America if you kiss the ring. Trump will say you are wonderful. So maybe he's right. Maybe Nikki Haley, all she has to do is say, you know what, Donald, you're wonderful. Plus, you probably can't remember the stuff I said about you a couple weeks ago anyway. I don't think Nikki goes there. And and can I speak as a woman for a moment? Please. Do you ever speak as anything otherwise? No, this is a perspective of a woman as opposed to a political hack. I just want to be clear. Ron DeSantis was emasculated daily by Donald Trump. Donald Trump and his henchmen went after DeSantis's wife, questioned her motherhood and whether she actually had breast cancer or whether it was just a ploy. Accused her of having affairs, him of having affairs. Let me tell you something. I'm Casey DeSantis. That man ain't getting a fourth child. I cannot believe that man within 24 hours got out of the race after how he and his family were treated and actually supported Donald Trump. He is a coward and he's a scumbag. And his chances of 2028 are out the window because no one respects that kind of behavior. All right, now we've got to do a poll of our listeners. If I have the wit and memory when we process this episode, I'll put this in as an actual poll question, which you can see if you listen to this on Spotify. I'm going to ask, should we do more late night editions of the Balance of Power Roundtable so that you can hear Alicia Preston Unfiltered? We're going to do a new series on Beyond Politics called Preston Unfiltered. I love it. No, I love it. I'm here for this. This is great. I'm totally signing up. Let's take the gloves off. I want to go back to something you said because- You were talking about what Donald Trump said about Nikki Haley and she went back and they're they're back and forth. Let's for a moment, and I know this is a mental challenge, but let's for a moment give Donald Trump the credit of being able to think three days, four days, a month ahead. And here he is with Nikki Haley. I think maybe... He recognizes, Matt, that because he's been reading your columns, that his performances have been weak. What if he recognizes that? What if he sees beyond the bravado and he says, holy shit, I only got I could only get a low turnout in Iowa. They're supposed to come out in the cold. That wasn't a great victory. And in New Hampshire, I got a single digit win against that woman. I'm in trouble. And by the way, the base, the MAGA base, who I could shoot somebody at Fifth Avenue, they'd still be mine. But they do they realize I'm facing 91 indictments and that maybe something's going to stick? I'm in trouble. I'm going after her. You, you guys are actually bringing up an interesting strategic point. I, first of all, endorse the idea that the fact that Donald Trump is squealing so loud means that he's been stuck with something real sharp. And 
I agree with you, Paul. He is savvy enough, even if he is addled at this point in his life, he's savvy enough to realize that his performance is not great. And that's why Donald Trump is saying in his speech tonight that he's trying to ward off the perception that Nikki Haley is going to be able to claim some kind of a victory, some kind of a comeback kid, Bill Clinton-esque kind of standing from her finish here. The fact that he's talking about that means that he's worried about it. The fact that he's dismissing it means that it's a real factor. But I want to pick up on the other thread that you're suggesting here. One way in poker as a strategy, one, one thing that experienced poker professionals do is they try to put their opponents what's called on tilt, meaning you try to unbalance them psychologically by going after their weak spots. The best way to put Donald Trump on tilt and all of his like weird kind of like broski henchmen is to go after their masculinity. They seem to be particularly sensitive on this point. Remember the point about the hands, hands. with Donald Trump. The right? hands. Um, I have very big hands, by the way. They're Remember so the big. Alicia, they're, by the way, is on right big. now trying to- Look at to... these hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean- I unmuted only to say I have a theory on the matter that I will not share no matter how late at night it is. Uh, okay. Oh. Uh, we're about 27 minutes into this podcast. I'm giving it three more minutes until we get your theory out of you. Three more minutes, Alicia. <laughs> just just do another shot there. And remember that one of the subtle things that Saturday Night Live did was that they portrayed Donald Trump's male cabinet members with female actors. And it seemed to drive the president absolutely crazy and all masculine henchmen who seemed to have issues regarding their own bravado. And so like, I, I, I think there's something to this. Donald Trump, look, Alicia, to your point, remember Donald Trump has a long history of lashing out at the looks of his opponent's wives. He did it to Ted Cruz, right? And it's his way of trying to establish male dominance. And by the way, dominance established because Ted Cruz turned right around and said, listen, sir, I challenge you to a duel that is unacceptable. You're a pig and that's why I'm endorsing you. So yeah, I think that there's something to this. And I think that Nikki Haley would be well advised to lean into this in the next few weeks. Get the man on tilt. Like, go after after his masculinity because he ain't got much. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. And imagine that the more that the crazier Trump goes with misogyny, the better it is for Nikki Haley. If she can figure out how to get women to open their eyes and see that the danger of that Trump is and the misogynist that he is. And maybe there's, maybe there's a chance because maybe there's a chance. Would you, if Alicia, I'm about to say something that's, I'm not trying to be intentionally provocative. This is a serious suggestion. If you were Nikki Haley's campaign, would you call Stormy Daniels and ask her to cut an ad against Donald Trump pulling <laughs> him and making fun of his manhood? I'm kind of serious. I know about Donald Trump's penis. It would be a great way to shift the conversation. Don't take your head out of your hands, Preston. (laughs) Let me tell you, Stormy Daniels, let me tell you about this man's hands. I think she's available is all I'm saying. It's not just his feet, ladies and gentlemen. You don't have to be quite as... It's his um, brain. Yeah, no, you, there, there could be, you don't have to be quite as textual. It could be a subtext thing. I think you could do something that would really unbalance the man. And like the New York Times today was talking about the fact that 
he's been running ads on issues. He's been running ads on substance. I think she could put him on tilt. I think so. I'm not sure I would have the campaign officially Stormy Daniels to participate in that. But for those who don't follow her on Twitter, she's doing just fine on her own with that narrative. She's hilarious. Yes, she is. She is hilarious. After you made that point on this show, I very much considered following her and I decided that I don't trust that in Elon Musk's slimy algorithmic hands, <laughs> nor do I want to explain to my wife my new set of follows. I've already intrubulated I, myself enough. I said on a show oh last week. Oh my God. Yeah, I said it on a show last week that, that my wife may have had some confusion about the difference between a state senator and a U.S. senator. And oh, uh, she called shenanigans yeah. on me. And she said, this is why I'm recording this currently from the basement. I'm not making this up, people. Um, <laughs> he's on the, he's been consigned to the basement been, couch. I would like to say for the record, that has never been true. Also, my wife is a lot smarter than I am, and I'm sorry. There you go. <laughs> so there you go. Talk about, talk about women putting men on tilt. A public apology is duly noted, but it doesn't get you out of the doghouse. I would like to give you this tweet from Rex Hupke, the USA Today columnist and humorist and previous guest on this show who tweeted the history book. This is over a video of Tim Squat and Vivek Ramaswamy removing their noses from an unfortunate place on Donald Trump, kind of rhetorically. And no, like Tim Scott is literally saying to Trump, I just love you. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Blah. <laughs> so gross. Did you see anyway, it? No, Rex, he said it. Did you yeah, see yeah, yeah. it during the speech? He actually said it. He says, I just love you. And so Rex right? the history books will not be kind to the myriad spineless meat sacks who jettisoned every ounce of dignity they possessed <laughs> and debased themselves before this miserable, disloyal, soulless husk of a man. Rex, I love you, man. And also, you're going to run out of adjectives soon. You're going to like... Who knows, Rex? Who is going to start charging you by the adjective. That's amazing. Husk of a man. So good. All right. So I, I think we're going to have to wrap this. Any other... Seriously, any other final takeaways here? Obviously, we'll keep digesting this into tomorrow. But look, Paul, let's start with you. The New Hampshire primary, we have been talking on many shows where we've been guests over the last week and on our own show about the significance and the historical significance of the New Hampshire primary. We talked about it with Andy Smith. We talked about it with Chris Matthews. We went on The Gist. Great show, by the way. People should check out The Gist uh, with Mike Pesca. We were guests there. We were talking about the role that the New Hampshire primary has played. You noted that I'm a longtime New Hampshire primary skeptic, but even I have had to admit that there is a there's an important and pivotal role to play. What are your feelings about the role of the New Hampshire primary after tonight, where they seem to have narrowly kind of rubber stamped through Donald Trump again? Is this going to degrade the role of the New Hampshire primary in the future? What do, what do you think of the significance of it? Number one, I'll take issue with calling this a rubber stamp of Donald Trump. I think this is a very weak victory by Trump. I think that while it's hard to look to the future of the New Hampshire primary, given what the Democrats have done, this is going to still be consequential for Republicans. I think that gives New Hampshire an important place in the primary calendar. I think who knows? Maybe the Democratic National Committee will come around. I think for Democrats, there's an important message from New Hampshire Democrats to the National Party, which is you shouldn't have screwed with us. We would have given some strength to, to our boy. We put country above everything and we're going to do the we're doing the right thing. 
I think that uh, I came into tonight thinking that the New Hampshire primary was a lot weaker. I come out of tonight thinking that it's still viable, it's still strong, and it's still important. I think the New Hampshire primary, we'll see what happens going forward, is giving Nikki Haley should have just said, I'm the comeback kid. I am the comeback kid. Nobody gave me a shot in hell. Look at me. I'm single digits behind the great golden goose. She basically said that, but without those words, she could have called herself. Maybe her words were better. Maybe they were, but I'm comeback kid. And I'm, you know, I'm comeback kid. Duh. So yeah, her I, words were better than that. And look, again, so was her French, probably. Alicia, you're so right. Like this speech from Trump is amazing. He threatened Nikki Haley. He says if she doesn't drop out, she'll end up under investigation for stuff she doesn't want to talk about. Good gracious! Like he's already, he's already doing it. He's already yeah, yeah, yeah. Authoritarian threats, Alicia. I guess same question for you. What's your big kind of like final takeaway of the night from this? I agree with Paul when it comes to it shows the importance of the New Hampshire primary. Without a candidate on the ballot, he's going to get 70%. Why? Because New Hampshire knows how to do it and how to pull out their electorate on the Democratic side. We know how to do it on both. Um, For the Republican side, it shows that even the power of incumbency for which Donald Trump is running on isn't enough to make New Hampshire voters sheep. Over 44, 45, we'll see what the numbers are tomorrow morning, percent of the Republican voters in New Hampshire chose someone else who never would have been given a shot and gotten the national spotlight in almost any other state in the nation. They're just, it, it would have been a, a coronation of Donald Trump without a place like New Hampshire being able to say, no, we're going to make her talk to us. We're going to talk to the issues. We're going we're gonna to answer questions. We're going to do all this. And the rest of the country watched. Will that be enough moving forward? I don't know. I hope so, but I don't know. But it gives someone an opportunity that without this process would simply be a coronation for Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And I'm going to actually give, I'll close out by giving the New Hampshire primary its due. I think that it has been revealing. I think it has done a job for the American people. As I said after Iowa, the story is yet to be written here, and it would be legitimate to write it either way. I think that what the New Hampshire primary has done is revealed weaknesses. For one thing, half of Trump's voters said in exit polls tonight that they would not vote for Haley if she were the nominee. And we already know, and we've cited many times, what some of the exit and entrance polls said in Iowa about the divisions there. I think what you're seeing is a Republican Party that is divided, remains divided, and is going to have a harder time than they've had even in previous years coalescing around a nominee. I think it's revealing a tremendous amount of weakness, especially on Donald Trump's part. And I think that what it's revealing is the role of the media in shaping the narrative here. And so if we wake up tomorrow morning and we'll we'll put out this show first thing Wednesday morning, and if we wake up, look around at the headlines, look on cable, and see how this is being characterized. And if once again, it's a Trump romps, solid path to the nomination, this thing is over, then we will know that the media has once again kind of gotten bamboozled and ensorcelled into picking up the Trump storyline. But they also have the opportunity to talk about and analyze and unpack the what's really going on here, which is this undercurrent of weakness and vulnerability that I think that Anyone, not just Democrats, but anyone who is really concerned about what's happened under Trump 
and the direction that he wants to take the country should find heartening and encouraging. So on that note, it's way too late for Paul and Alicia. I'm Matt Robeson. We will see you next time. And maybe we will get that secret idea out of Alicia next time. <laughs>